Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Uh, thank you so much for joining me for a, another podcast. As usual, uh, I'm so grateful for all of you that take time to just advance uh, your leadership mindset and just create the uh, leadership heart that I believe is so needed in our society today. Uh, As we said often, when you become a leader, you lose the right to think about yourself. Uh, That's a quote that I came up with years and years ago, and I think it is probably more relevant today than ever. I think as a leader, you have to put the good and the best of others above Uh, where you are in life, and even if it means that uh, things don't go well for you, if you make things uh, better for people, then you're truly moved into a leadership uh, level that I believe is profoundly what the Bible asks us to do. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about five-star leadership, five-star leadership. For just everybody, uh, that term five-star is used really in uh, multiple arenas. In the military, if you were a five-star general, that meant that you had reached the upper echelon, the peak of the peaks. In fact, there hasn't been a five-star general in the Army uh, since World War II. Omar Bradley was the last five-star general, and there hasn't been one since because it's sort of the epic moment to be declared that you are a five-star general. In business, that term five-star is used to talk about a level of achievement that is uh, really the thin air moment. It's the very top. It's the very highest level of a business achievement. And so when that five-star is thrown out and someone's called uh, a business, a five-star kind of business, it is the upper echelon that very few people achieve, very few people uh, ever go to. Uh, But I want to take it a little bit more practically, and what I want to do is uh, I want to talk to you about being a five-star leader. Now, being five-star basically means that there are five points to it, so uh, let me uh, just start with that. And um, the five uh, points of being a five-star leader are this, is first of all, can you grow? Uh, Can you grow? To me, leadership's foundation is the ongoing environment of growth. Can you grow? The second piece to that is, can you keep growing? Can you keep growing? So let's just sort of deal with those first two points there. Can you grow? See, in our society, there's a lot of people who use um, their circumstances for the reason they can't grow. What they say is, well, if you were where I was at, then you would know that that growth really isn't possible, that I'm in a place that, that growth doesn't have the wherewithal to be able to achieve. Except, biblically, we're given an example of our Lord and Savior as the Messiah in Isaiah 53, and it says that he was a root that grew out of dry ground. He was a root that grew out of dry ground. Now, what that is referencing is simply this, that he grew where you weren't supposed to grow. We all know that plants need water. We know that plants need moisture. We know that without moisture uh, and water that things can't grow. And so what he's saying is, is that 
as our Savior, he grew in an environment where growth was impossible. And that's what I say to you is, can you grow? Can you grow during tough times? Can you grow during unpleasant times? Can you grow during difficult times? Can you grow? Um, last night, uh, I was talking uh, to a group of people, and I, I used an illustration that to me is just one of the most profound illustrations uh, that that I've ever run across. And it's about a man named uh, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass in American history is just esteemed. In fact, if you've never read the book, uh, An American Slave, uh, that is Frederick Douglass talking about being born into slavery, being raised as a slave, living as a slave, but he escapes. But during his time of slavery, one of the things that he knew was that he needed to learn to read, and he needed to learn to write. Now, the problem was, in most of the places that slavery was allowed in our country, those God-forbid moments, uh, it was illegal to teach reading and writing to a slave. So he's in an environment where, one, it's illegal to do it. Two, not only is it illegal to do it, but it is required at that particular point that uh, it is a crime if they are doing it. So he had to figure out, how do I teach myself to read and to write? So what he would do as a little boy was he would come up to a group of white boys, and he would say, can you spell the word house? And they would say, yes, you can. And he would say, I don't believe you can. And he would put some coal, and he would give them a clump of coal, and he would walk them over to a fence, and he said, I don't think you can spell the word house. And he said, uh, prove it to me. And the white boy would write up there with the coal the word house. What they didn't know was that Frederick Douglass couldn't uh, write and he couldn't read, but what they were doing was they were teaching him. So after they did that, he would say, I didn't think you knew how to do that, and he would walk off. But he would go later on in the fence or later on, and he would practice every letter that they had drawn up there. And that's literally how he taught himself to write. He would make the H. He would make uh, the O. He would make the U, the S, the E. He would make the house and then he would memorize the word and he would do that repeatedly time and time again until he taught himself the alphabet until he taught himself the basic words until he taught himself and then one of his jobs was to help the landowners and sometimes they needed someone to go get mail for them so he would run and he would get the mail and the reason he wanted to do that was that he would take any magazine or anything that was written and he would read it and he would look at new words and he would begin to use those. So here is a man that it was illegal for him to learn to read and write. Here is a man that found a way when it was an environment that he couldn't. And what I want to say to you is if you are going to be a, a five-star leader, you're going to have to ask the question, can I grow? Can I grow? But then once you ask the question, can I grow? Can I figure out a growth plan for my life? Can I figure out how to grow in my life? Then you're going to have to ask another question, and that is, can I keep growing? See, 
we use the term in our society, well, they're going through a growth spurt. That may be true when it comes to uh, the physical stature of our bodies, but it's not true when it comes to the overall life. We are to not only grow, but we are to keep growing. And it's one thing to have growth where you're sort of in the mood and you pick up a book or you're in the mood and you feel a little bit inspired. But can you keep growing? Can you grow day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade? As I've said many times before, all greatness is is learning how to be good every day. And if you put good together day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, if you learn to do that so repeatedly, eventually someone's going to look at you and say, well, you're great at that. And what you know is it's not that you're great. You've just learned how to be good every day. So the question is not just can you grow regardless of your environment, but the question then becomes can you keep growing? Can you develop the discipline that you are going to grow continually, repeatedly, and you are going to make yourself learn bigger than what you've ever learned before and that you are going to dive in deeper than you've ever dove into things before? You are going to expose yourself to learning possibilities and those learning possibilities will be be profound in your life. Can you do that? What I know about five-star leaders is that they learn that they can grow. And what I've learned about five-star leaders is they, they've learned that they can keep growing. And those are two of the points. But if you can grow and you can keep grow, then there's a third point. Can you grow others? Can you grow others? See, if you're going to be in leadership, the ultimate standard isn't what happens to you. It is what happens through you. And so if I'm growing and I keep growing, then can I get to the place that I can grow other people? That I grow them in their relationship with God. I grow them in their business skills. I grow them in their academics. I grow them in uh, their their knowledge, their understanding and wisdom. Uh, can I grow others? And so there's a lot of people who uh, are good at the library, but they're not good at the community hall. They are good at being progressive, continual learners, and they know how to learn, but they can't translate what they're learning in to helping someone else learn. And so this question is simply this. Are you the kind of person that other people are better off because you're near them? Are you the kind of person that you are able to create value in other people? Can you create significance in other individuals? Can you do that? So can you grow? Can you keep growing? And can you grow others? And then the fourth point, can you keep growing others? Can you keep growing others? See, it's one thing to take a person and, and maybe you have an affinity to them and you invest a little bit in them and, and, and they begin to grow and they begin to take off on a path. But it's another thing. It's another thing when you can do that not just with one person, but you can do that continually. 
And you can do that repeatedly. And you can do that regularly. And so what we want to do is we want to be five-star leaders. We want to be people who can grow. And we want to be people who can keep growing. And we want to be the kind of individual that can grow others, but that we keep growing others. So leaders that are profound have the ability not just to be the smartest person in the room, but they are the people who make other people smarter in the room. So can you make people smarter? Can you make them better? So in my kind of job, can you cause people to grow in their relationship with Christ? Can you then cause people to grow in their meaningful ministry for Christ? Can you then cause people to be able to grow in their ministry with Christ and and with Christ and then grow in the relationships that Christ has given them? So when people look at your marriage, do they feel inspired? When they, they look at your devotion, do they feel encouraged? When they look at your learning posture, do, do they feel that the standard's being raised for them? Do they feel that? And so here's the thing. You've got to be able to help other people grow. So can you grow? Can you keep growing? Can you grow others? And then you, can you keep growing others? And then the fifth point is this. Can you grow your ministry while you're doing all of the others? Can you grow your business while you're doing all the others? So a five-star leader looks like this. They're growing. They keep growing. They help others to grow. And they keep helping others to grow. And then they grow their business or they grow their ministry. And that's what a five-star leader does. It all centers on growth. They know how to grow. It's said about Jesus that he grew in stature with God and man. It talks about how he grew. It talks about where he grew and what he grew in. He was a five-star kind of leader. Well, can you be that? Can you grow? Can you keep growing? Can you grow others? Can you keep growing others? And can you do all of this while you're growing your job, your business, your ministry? Can you do that? Here's what I know. You can't grow just in one dimension of your life. You have to be able to grow in multiple dimensions of your life. And so, can you grow? Can you keep growing? Can you grow others? Can you keep growing others? Can you grow your ministry? Now, I want to go back to the five-star. When I started, I said that in two arenas, that is used. The military talking about the ultimate uh, leader. And again, in our society, uh, there aren't five-star generals anymore. That happened to Omar Bradley. He was the last one. And uh, then businesses, five-star businesses. Now, I travel a whole lot, and my travels mean that I stay in a whole lot of hotels. Now, when I was very, very young, I decided to be brand loyal because I knew that if I was brand loyal, that over the period of years, I would accumulate uh, enough nights at uh, a hotel that I would begin to have access to uh, better hotel rooms and better opportunities. But in all the traveling that I've done, 
I've stayed at one-star hotels. I've stayed at two-star hotels. I've stayed at three-star. And I've stayed at a few four-star hotels. But I've only stayed in all the nights, and I have thousands of nights that I have stayed at hotels. I only have two stays at five-star hotels. Now, what that tells you is something important. The reason I only have two stays at five-star hotels is there's more two-star hotels, three-star hotels, or four-star hotels. There aren't many five-star hotels. And what I can tell you is there aren't many five-star leaders. You don't walk into a room and see just five-star leaders everywhere. That's not a part of the, the equation. So, that being said, here's where we're at. What makes a hotel, a business, a five-star? Now, again, I've only stayed in two. Those were very unique circumstances. But let me just talk about how that plays out. The first is, in a five-star hotel, there is greater service. Uh, The interesting thing is that if you go to a five-star hotel, those people are going to serve at a level that is going to be unequal to any other kind of hotel that you have stayed at. They're constantly going to be looking out and saying, do you need this? Can we help you with this? Uh, Is this something that uh, we can do that may be able to enhance your stay here? The thing about five-star hotels is that they offer greater service. Now, every hotel will say that it offers service, but a five-star hotel will offer greater service. And and a five-star hotel, they're going to offer you a service level that will be unmatched and unequal. Now, here's what I like to tell people. If you're going to be a five-star leader, you're going to have to learn to uh, have greater service. And when we talk about serving... That means you do your job. And that's basically how most of us serve. We do our job. But greater service is this. You do your job before you're asked. So the difference is that if you went to the average hotel, there may be uh, a magazine that's out of place. Well, the manager may walk over there and say the manage, uh, the magazines are out of order here and may ask someone to come over and fix them. At a five-star hotel, the manager's not having to ask anyone to come. There are people who are walking around and they see everything that needs to be done and they make sure that it is done and they make sure that it is done well. They make sure that it is done and it is done well. So five-star hotels involve greater service. That involves doing your job, but it involves doing your job before you're asked to do the job. In fact, they consider failure to be having to ask a staff member to do something. They consider that to be less than the standard. They want there to be a greater standard of service. And so that standard of service is, hey, You need to see it before anyone else sees it. You need to do it before anyone else does it. The next thing about a five-star hotel is that they have a greater excellence. And and that's, that's an amazing thing. 
because that word excellence is used a lot in Christian circles, but it's not always used a whole lot in business circles. But they have a greater excellence. And what greater excellence means is they go beyond their job. See, the one thing that someone with excellence will never say is they will never say, that's not my job. See, someone who just serves may say, that's not my job. But someone who is has excellence, they'll never say, that's not my job. And so you may walk up to them and say, hey, uh, I'm here and I'm doing a business meeting at this hotel. I need this, I need this, I need this. Well, they're not going to say, hey, I'm not in charge of the equipment, uh, the audio. I'm not in, in charge of room setup. What they will do is they will turn around and say, let me see what I can do to make this happen. Let me see what I can do to make this happen. See, if you're going to have excellence, excellence doesn't show up in the job you're required to do. Excellence shows up in your willingness to do a job you're not expected to do. That's what excellence is. So there's a greater service, there's a greater excellence, but then there's a greater responsibility. And it's amazing in the two five-star hotels I've been at, the level of responsibility that people took from the person who helped you with your bags to the person who was helping clean your room to the person who was helping serve you food, the level of responsibility. Here's what I like to say. You know that someone has assumed responsibility in an organization, in a job, in a business, in a ministry, when it's no longer about me, it has become we. See, greater responsibility is is that I want the team to look good. I want the team to get credit. People who assume greater responsibility, what they do is they make it about we rather than me. They understand the biblical value of I decrease that he might increase. That sometimes for the team to do good, it has to be less about you and it has to be more about the team. Uh, I've told the story before, but John Wooden, uh, who was the coach at UCLA basketball, uh, won the most championships that will probably ever be won by a college coach, probably in any arena. Uh, But he uh, was just so effective. But he had a kid that was really super talented. And he wouldn't play the kid. And the kid just sat on the bench. But a few times in the game, he'd put him in. And then one day, the kid was frustrated and turned to John Wooden and said, you know that I'm the best player on the floor. And John Wooden looked at him. He said, I know you're the best player, but we're not the best team when you're on the floor. And I thought that was magic. A lot of people are so consumed with their talent that they lose sight of the team. And so what I know about five-star businesses, hotels, is there's greater service, there's greater excellence, and there's greater responsibility. And then there's greater accountability. 
And greater accountability looks like this. We're not a hotel that offers beds. We're a home who has guests. Now just think about that. When you walk into a hotel, most people are approaching a hotel as, I need a room so I have a bed. But if you walk into a five-star hotel, what they're doing is they've made the picture so much different. What they say is, we are a home and you are going to be our guest. So where would you rather be? At a place that's going to give you a bed or at a home that's going to treat you like a guest? See, the accountability changes because the goal changes. And they live with a higher accountability because they have a higher goal. They're not just selling a number of rooms that have beds. They're creating a home environment for people they consider guests. But when it comes to excellence, greater service, or it comes to being a five-star business, greater service, greater excellence, greater responsibility, greater accountability, but there's also a greater cost. Now, like I said, I've only stayed at two five-star hotels, and I've spent thousands of nights. One, there aren't many, but two, if you're going to stay in a five-star hotel, it costs more. You're going to pay more to be in that. But let me tell you why you're going to pay more. Because that hotel paid more to be that. They put more money into their building. They put more money into their team. And they put more money into the little things. So it's going to cost you more. Now I ended with this intentionally. Because you're not going to be a five-star leader without it costing you. And a lot of people want high recognition, but they want it at a low price. They want to reach the top of the ladder, but they only want to pay for one rung. And what I want to tell you is, if you're a leader, it costs you. It costs you something to be a highly intelligent, high-capacity leader. You're going to have to do things that are going to cost you. They're going to cost you time. They may cost you income. They may cost you opportunities. But you're going to do things that are going to cost you to lead. So literally, you're going to have to give up time. Yeah, everyone else is playing around, but you're going to put in the time. You're going to put in the time to be a five-star leader. It's not just that you're going to put in the time, but it's going to cost you. And what it's going to do is, is it's going to cost you some money. See, I get asked by young leaders all the time, uh, where do you get all your stuff from? And to be honest, I can't tell them. They think that I read a book. I didn't read a book. I read thousands of books. They think, and I'm going old school, that I've listened to one podcast. Can I tell you I've listened to tens of thousands of tapes, CDs, and podcasts. To do that takes time. To do that takes energy. Craig Rochelle, who's a good friend of mine, he made a statement to me in a conversation. He said, Gerald, you're a content machine. You can turn out content on a level that I don't know that anyone else can do. Well, I 
I appreciate Craig's recognition that there's quality content going out. But that content is a result of thousands, tens of thousands of hours of reading, of listening, and then praying. So when I got this lesson, it was my day off. I'm literally sitting in my backyard and I'm praying. And then the thought came. This whole message was written in about three and a half minutes. Now, how do you write something in three and a half minutes that will go all over the world? You write it because you've paid a cost. You've paid a price. And what I want to say to you is a lot of people want to be high-capacity leaders, but they want it at a bargain basis price. And you don't get to be the one without paying the price. So I want to encourage you. Leadership is a journey. There's always trade-offs. Make the trade-off to be the highest capacity leader ever. Our world needs great leaders. It needs leaders that don't think about themselves, but think about others. Wherever you are, you can be that leader. Wherever you are, you can achieve that level of leadership. The kingdom of God needs high-capacity leaders. I know that there are many of you out there. This is what you were destined and called to be. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I just believe that uh, God has his hand on you. I do have some events coming up. I have a roundtable that uh, will be up in the Northeast. And uh, if you're in the New York area, you're in the Connecticut area, you're in the Pennsylvania area, go on my webpage. We have a, a roundtable that will be the very end of this month. I'll also be doing a, a, a pastor's meeting on a Saturday in Colorado Springs. That would also be. And then I'm going to be doing another roundtable in the South Dallas area in Red Oaks. And so if any of those work, and then I'll be in Kansas City, and uh, that'll be a great opportunity uh, for those of you out there. But just go on Gerald Brooks Ministries, look at that. And hey, also, if you don't follow me on Twitter, uh, you can go to uh, Gerald Brooks, and you can look up my Twitter account. And uh, I'm always putting out quotes of things that I've learned, and I think that'll help you. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.